0: You are now tuned in to the Property Management Show with your host, Alex Osinenko. We bring in the experts of today so you can be the master of tomorrow in all things property management. Whether it's getting more doors, running a profitable fee based business, or by simply being the best property manager. So, grab a pen and paper because this episode
1: is sure to be a good one. Thank you. And enjoy the show.
2: Welcome to another episode of the Property Management Show. I missed you over the last week and a half, maybe two weeks, depending on when we publish this. Um, try to come to you every two weeks, giving you uh, an opportunity to internalize some of the content. Some of the stuff we do here is pretty deep. Um, some of the stuff, um, you know, some of people have pretty. Uh, um, good and actionable advice. Um, we try to take, um, make sure we write, uh, create article, uh, a full-on written article from every podcast so you can look at the links we mentioned and review the information in a written form you know, to put on your to-do list or, or whatever. So today I'm starting a new series, however. Um, this one is going to be called How I Did It. How I Did It. It's basically the goal of the series is to empower property management business owners with success stories from those who have done it, from immensely successful property management entrepreneurs. And all of us as business owners, you know, have challenges, a lot of challenges along the way. And I'll specifically ask my guests within the series uh, is to discuss these specific challenges, talk about how they overcame those challenges, and maybe that will help you, dear listener uh in your journey um on building your property management business. So um, let me introduce my first guest. Um, our first guest is Stephanie Gordon. Stephanie, how are you? I'm doing good. Wonderful. It's good it's good it's good to have you on. Stephanie is a good friend, long-time customer and um you know, she's one of the most I think successful property management entrepreneurs I know. And uh, I, I have immense respect for her, and I think we all will learn a lot today. I, I'm I'm really looking forward to this episode. But I want to open with the hardest thing, Stephanie. Um, I want to open with your biggest challenge. Like, if you look back, how long you've how long you had your own business?
0: Thirty one years.
2: Thirty one years. Okay. <laughs> Thirty one years. Long time. Yeah, that's great. Um, so, thirty-one years. What was the most difficult time? The most, the largest challenge you had to o- overcome, and how you overcame it.
0: Uh, let's see. I think probably my biggest challenge has evolved around employees uh, and and being an employer of people. You know, I started out and it was just me, and I did everything. And then you start adding people. And as you grow, you get to the point where you're no longer managing buildings. You're not managing owners. You're not managing tenants. You're not managing buildings, but you're managing people. You're managing your employees. And that has not been something that I've been very good at. I will frankly admit, I, I in many respects, I think I stink at that, um, you know, and it's just kind of not my personality I'm the oh let's everybody get along let's everybody have a good time let's all be friends I kind of avoid confrontation and I would tend to you know kind of put my hand my head in the sand and just kind of do the oh please do your job please 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 just do your job um Mm And that doesn't really work out very well, uh, when, when you are, um, the boss of, of people. And, and I will say I have, I've been really lucky. I have a great team right now. Um, I'm, I'm really, really happy with everybody who works for me. But, you know, there were times where I had difficult people in challenging situations. And I, I think I was slow to fire, um, people when, when, um, they should have been fired much earlier.
2: So talk us through one particular case. I really want to get, like, somebody's listening out there, Stephanie, that has that is probably in a similar situation. In fact, I know a number of people who are uh, kind-hearted, very focused on the job, very good at what they do. But you're right, you know, avoid confrontations is sort of a, a – that's, that's kind of how you made, right? And it, it's difficult for you to face um, – you know uh some of these things and make those hard decisions and have these hard conversations do you have a particular example you want to share
0: well um okay well, I had a this is oh i don't know maybe two thousand eight two thousand nine around there um I had uh, two maintenance guys, one just a sweetheart and the other a really difficult guy but he he was a good maintenance guy um uh, or a decent maintenance guy uh but he was just he was difficult and, um, I didn't like him. Didn't really get along with him. Um, it was just, and and I was really unhappy. I didn't want to go to work. Um, I was really kind of thinking, what else can I do? Can I, can I teach real estate? Can I teach property management? I have a master's degree. I was kind of looking in, you know, really a career change. Um, and, and it's hard to find maintenance guys in San Francisco. I mean, you know, it's just, it's, it's an expensive place to live. And, uh, you know, a lot of the skilled, you know, handyman type guys or guys that can or gals that can do a little bit of everything. They're just they're just really hard to find. Uh, And and it took me a while to find this one guy. And so I was reluctant to let him go because I needed to get the maintenance. And at the same time, I had a really pretty big account. Um, I don't know. This guy must have had 50 units. I can't quite remember now how many he had. But they were all old and needs a lot of work. And so my maintenance guy, um, the difficult one, I'll call him John. um, uh, Although I have a maintenance guy named John now. That's not (laughs) not the the same John. John, if you're listening,
2: don't worry. It's not you.
0: (laughs) Yeah, let's call him Mark. Okay, the difficult guy, we'll call him Mark. Um, He was working on almost, you know, 80% of his time was working on this big account with all of these buildings. And so one day I just had an epiphany. I hate the client. I hate the maintenance guy. I'll fire both of them, (laughs) Um, which is what I did. And it was the first time I fired a client and fired a big client, mind you. And it was the weight of the world was lifted off of my shoulders. And it made me, and you know, and then I got rid of the maintenance guy. Um, And, And it changed the whole dynamic in the office. Everybody was so much happier without this guy around. He was just a drag on everybody. And I got rid of the client who was, I mean, I was doing all kinds of different stuff for this client. I was taking my reports and taking data out of them and putting them into an Excel spreadsheet that he created. You know, and that's crazy. You know, I mean you know, we should all as property managers, this is the service that we offer. And if a client wants something outside of that service, then, then they're not the right fit for us. Um, it's kind of, you know, what I learned with that. And, and, and firing a client is a, is a measure of success. When you can fire your clients, you, you have reached success. So, um, so in this case, I fired, I fired an employee. I fired a client, and I was happier, and everybody else was happier.
2: Um, let's let's dig in. Um, let, let's dig in. I want to understand your business, um, your state of, of business. Uh, so I understand your state of mind now. People, you know, somebody just dragged the whole company down. You didn't want to come to work. Thought about changing your career, going from a business person uh, owning your own business to teaching college or something like that, to teaching property management, real estate. That's. I'm glad you didn't do that. Um, Cause, yeah, because <laughs> yeah, I wouldn't be coming to your Sonoma house uh, with the kids to uh, tomorrow over the weekend uh, to take a swim and, and enjoy some barbecuing um, with you and Richard. But uh, aside from that, um, I think, so So a couple of things. I wanted to dig in a little bit and understand where you were, unit count revenue at that time and what kind of impact that, that financially did that uh, um, and how you went about firing client. But before that, this is something I want to bring up. Uh, I like Robert Locke and his sort of uh, conceptualization of Big A, Big A agent versus small A agent. I really like that. In fact, we're internalizing this in our team as well. And he basically says, and you just, you I mean, it sounds very simple, but I think we, we don't think about this enough. The Big A agent is essentially someone who is a... Uh, um. Who works on behalf of a client and has the trust and has the knowledge and has the systems and methodologies, and the client trusts the big A agent almost completely to take care of every aspect of property management, marketing, whatever services you provide. Where small A agent, a lot of us starting out in a small A, we keep asking for approvals. We keep giving them um, very unique uh, um, sort of set of uh, um, we, we. we take from them a unique set of requirements, and then we have to change our whole business because to satisfy this one client, because uh, we're a small A agent. We're not in the big leagues yet. So uh, having said that, I think you were growing from small A to big A, right? Or at least transitioning or, um, during that period. And what kind of financial impact, Stephanie? Uh, what, what sort of a, and how did you go about firing this big client? I think that's an interesting part of the story.
0: Well, I think I gave him 60 days notice to find a new property manager. Um, You know, it was a while ago, so I don't, but, but typically, and and I have since fired a lot of clients in the last year or two, I have been deliberately looking at my uh, client list, my property list and looking at the clients who are just time sucks. I mean, they just, for me, my staff, everybody, and they're just time sucks and they're frustrating. And I have fired a few pretty good sized clients over the last couple of years. And I'm continually to look at, um, you know, who who is either really, really difficult, a time suck, or a liability. Um, let's face it, there's some clients that don't want to do the work we find is necessary. So, and I have found when I fire a client, my income dip doesn't last very long i I, i'm able to bring in new business to replace it um so
2: but this was 2008 this particular this was 2008
0: 2008. and so this was a hit this was definitely a hit on my income but at the same time i mean i was waiting to give up my whole business i was so unhappy Uh so um and and that's important for, for us and for our, our, our employees, if we have clients that make us all miserable, we're not going to last in this business. Um, and we can't be all things to all people. And I think we have to recognize when there's just not a good fit between a client and, uh, and, and your company and or an employee coming into your company who makes everybody else really unhappy. Um, that that will be a drag on your business. No matter how good that employee may or may not be, if you're going to lose the rest of your staff over it or morale is going to go down so low, then then you need to do something about it.
2: Mm. So 2008, let's go back there. I'm going to keep taking you back there. How many properties did you have? Do you remember around? How many units? I
0: think I probably had about 500 units at that time
2: 500 and you know, how how many how big was that apartment building
0: there was actually i think there was three or four buildings and it was a good 50 or 60 units i mean this was this was a, a, a pretty big hit
2: 10 percent of your portfolio
0: yeah maybe, maybe so maybe not quite that much maybe it was maybe it was 50 units 40 units i can't remember uh, but it was it was it was sizable chunk
2: gotcha uh, and so so take us through your first hundred hundred units. I know uh you and I talked about uh your story, but I'd like listeners to to get uh to understand kind of where you where you came from as an entrepreneur. Take us to your first maybe 100, hundred, hundred and ten. This is where you started yeah, where you actually need to start hiring help and, and getting somebody and employees in, in place. Well,
0: I actually I started out managing property owned by my family. My father was a doctor, he invested in real estate. He would buy an apartment building, kind of fix it up, sell it, buy another one. I mean, I grew up in the industry. I painted apartments in the summer. My mother managed them. This was before computers when, you know, you had, you know, spreadsheets that had to tally across safeguard business systems, safeguard rent receipts. Any old timers out there remember safeguard? Um, you know, and I would in high school, you know, do the adding machine stuff for her. So I kind of grew up up in managing property. And um, at, before I started managing these properties, I was actually in real estate sales. Uh, and I was not a great sales agent. I hated cold calling. It was absolutely not what I wanted to do with my life. And my mom was getting tired of managing these properties and looking for, you know, my brother or me or my sister or somebody to take over. Uh, my brother kind of hemmed and hawed and I was like, I'll do it. I'll do it. Um, so I started managing two buildings. One was 65 units, one was 38. So, you know, it's 100, 103 units, uh, managing them for my family. And... um because I had been in real estate sales, I knew a lot of sales agents in San Francisco. And, you know, this was this was 1989. There was not a whole, the property management industry was not like it is today. Um, property management companies tended to be the poor stepchild of a real estate sales office, where they would have a management division really just to please their clients. But there wasn't really any you know, business development of it. It was kind of, you collect the check and that, you know, collect the rent check. And that was about it. Accounting functions were minimal. Um, And there were a few management companies that managed big, big, big apartment buildings, but nobody doing the small stuff. So I, my niche was small to mid-sized apartment buildings. And I just Started getting referrals from agents that I knew because I didn't do sales. So I wouldn't steal their clients. So that if a client came to me, I managed their building for a number of years, they wanted to sell, I'd refer them back to whichever agent referred them to me. And um, so I was adding properties and taking on new clients. Uh, it was still just me working out of my home.
2: Stephanie, and, how did you figure out pricing?
0: Um, I kind of just looked at what was standard five to 6% and I was charging, you know, my parents, I was charging 5%, which was, you know, pretty standard. Maybe the high end, maybe they could have found somebody to do it for four and four and a half and four to 5% on a portfolio that size was kind of standard. And 6% was standard for smaller properties. So I just started charging 6%. And if somebody came along with a big enough portfolio, I would charge five, um,
2: and um so you grew you you had your home office you you were managing these properties at almost at what level did you decide to that hey this is a real thing I'm actually going to need to do an office and and hire my first employee
0: well in 2003 I bought a management company um and um it was kind of a interesting deal I was at a you know, property management lunch one day, PPMA in San Francisco. And I'm sitting next to this guy who's asking me all kinds of questions about how I run my business, blah, blah, blah. I didn't know him from Adam. Uh, He was a uh, worked for a real estate sales guy and they did some property management on the side. So the next day I get a phone call from him saying, hey, you know, I really enjoyed our lunch the other day. Um, I'm wanting to sell my business. Are you interested? I was like, yeah. So rule number one, when you go to industry functions, sit next to somebody you don't know. You never know where it's going to lead. So anyway, um, when I bought out um, this other management firm, the guy, I mean, it was a really sweet deal for me. He loaned me the money. I paid it over time. It it was a really good deal for me. Uh, The bulk of that purchase was 3 Big buildings in San Francisco's, on the edge of San Francisco's Tenderloin, which is not a great part of town. And I sat in my car across the street from those buildings for about an hour one day saying, oh man, do I want this? Do do I really (laughs) want this kind of headache? Um, But they were big enough buildings, they had on site staff. And so I thought I could do it. So at that point, when I bought that business, that's when I hired, um, I, I went and I rented an office outside my home and hired my first full time employee. Um, and at that point i think when i bought out that company i think that brought me up to about 300 units um 300 how many units i was, I was probably um,
2: how many units did you acquire do you remember it Was 100 units a little more a little it less was,
0: well these three big buildings were 130 units and then there was maybe another 25 or 30 units that came along with it uh and a lot of those Units didn't stick very long. Um, For one reason or another, I didn't get along with the the owner. The owner wanted to change. The owner sold. So from that purchase, you know, and I had a clawback clause. So that's good. So so that's
2: it's an important thing to to first of all, how much did you pay for? um, Just just give us general numbers. What did you pay per unit? I
0: paid I, I paid one year's annual gross.
2: Okay, so that was the, in two thousand three, right? Yeah. So, so
0: it was whatever the annual gross was to the property management company. I paid one year annual gross, and then there was a clawback clause. So these other properties that went away, eventually, you know, reduced the purchase price by that that amount.
2: How yeah. many did you have to claw back? Do you remember, like percentage wise? Give us a general like idea on the percentage. Ten percent popped out. Thirty percent popped out.
0: Um, probably ten percent, maybe fifteen percent.
2: Ten to fifteen like percent. Got you, and and oh, the clawback clause was what? What's the duration of that clause? Was it twelve months?
0: Yeah, it was a year.
2: So they had to stay for twelve months. Yeah, that's great. Okay, good, good stuff. And yeah. so,
0: oh, it was a, it was a great deal for me. It was a really really good deal for me. And so I basically ended up with these hundred and thirty units, and um with the nicest owner. I mean, this guy, he was gold. He, whatever I thought needed to be done, he was on board with it. I mean, that's the perfect client. Yeah, Stephanie, just do what you think is best. More or less. Um, so I had these 130 units and, um, and, and like I said, I learned a lot and I'm, I'm continuing to grow. I'm, I'm continuing to add other properties, um, you know, small apartment buildings, originally, I wouldn't manage single-family homes. I I was after the apartment building. That was my background. And I was sitting at my desk, and it was one of those days, I think I got three phone calls in a row for somebody looking to manage a single-family home. And after hanging up from third person saying, no, I don't do that, I kind of went, well, why don't I do that? Maybe I should do that. So, you know, at some point, I started managing single-family homes as well.
1: I hope you're enjoying this podcast. I wanted to take just two minutes of your time and say thank you to our sponsor, a company who makes this podcast a reality. That's four and a half, my company. We do marketing for property management companies. We've done it for the last seven years, and the latest innovation we're introducing is guaranteed plans. That's right, we're able to guarantee the performance of our marketing and website services to you if you hire four and a half to do both your marketing and the website. It all starts with a thorough business performance review where we really take a deep look into your business, SEO, uh, business practices, your uh, identify current up gaps and areas of opportunity, and then figure out how to close them for you. Then we're going to guarantee a specific outcome in terms of results. And if that aligns with your goals for the business, we can sign you up for this guarantee plan and deliver the results to you or work for free. If you have any, uh, if you would take take a further look at this, go to fourandhalf.com, hit pricing, and take a look at our guaranteed plans. Thank you. Let's get back to the show.
2: Who was your first employee? What What position did you hire for? How did you, and how did that fit within what you thought you needed?
0: So, my first position was someone who was just really entering data, um, and doing kind of bookkeeping type stuff where there was a stack of bills to pay. She would come in and, and pay those bills. Um, and she started working for me part time when I was still working out of my home. And, you know, she would come in, she had another part time job and she would come in and, you know, sit at my desk and my computer and do data entry. Um, and um, then when I bought this company and moved outside the home, because it came to, to be that, you know, we both couldn't be on the computer at the same time. There really wasn't enough room in my, you know, little home office to add another computer. And, it, and you know, it was time to get out of the house. Um, so I rented a tiny, tiny office space, I think it was 300 square feet. Um, and, the you know, that person then started working for me full time. And started in addition to just you know the bookkeeping data entry she would help organize maintenance um, so she was not a like a,
2: a was, licensed real estate agent or property manager she was more of a support no. assistant uh, yeah she was
0: really just a kind of a support staff yeah gotcha
2: yeah and is this person still with you no okay gotcha so I thought no. maybe I don't um, I didn't know if Megan goes that far back but okay
0: no, so Megan was my second employee, so um the and and again, you know, and this first employee was another employee relationship that ended badly um so i i Why? I don't need to go into it all, but high level she she felt very entitled um and she became difficult at the same time she was having all kinds of issues at home in her marriage, and there was all kinds of things going on. And she was kind of manic in certain ways, and she was becoming more and more difficult. And I've always tend to hire people and start them low, but raise them quickly if they're good. And so she had been getting 10% raises for a couple of years and reached the point where she wasn't. Worthy of a ten percent raise, and she kind of flipped out when I gave her. She expected that. That was the expectation.
2: That was an entitlement. Now,
0: yeah, yeah. So, you know, and then and so that kind of was a you know a real. This was at the same time with my maintenance guy was driving me crazy, and at that point she was a full time maintenance coordinator, and the two of them you know could take care of each other. But then this you know my first employee. she basically had some kind of breakdown and went on disability um so that
2: yeah
0: got her out of there but but megan was my second employee um, so,
2: so, so we're still in 2003 let's just i want to keep sort of a a clean okay sort of, <laughs> a, a path to to then to the now we're still in 2003 yes <laughs> I, I have a couple of questions on that that's very so that's an interesting point a lot of our listeners at that point right now Maybe just acquired a company, thinking about maybe buying a company. What could, you know, what what kind of benefits that could provide, and and the clawback claw, uh, clause, I think is is a good advice uh, from you. But uh, first employee, um, little office. How much money were you? What was your take home? Was you were you happy financially? Was, was that satisfying your ambitions financially? at That income level, or were you still kind of struggling at that time? Two thousand
1: three.
0: No, I was I was making a good income. I was, made, you know, and I always had because even managing, you know, up until that point, I didn't have any rent. Uh, I was working out of my home, so and, and you know, certainly when it was just me, you know, I've I've always made a pretty good income. I never thought I would be here where I am today, um, but um, but I've always been pretty happy with what I made. And the lifestyle it afforded me that I had so much flexibility in my schedule. And when I started. When I started, I took over these these properties of for my family. I had a six week old baby, you know, my first child, Mm -hmm. and then two years later I had another baby. So I was able to, you know, and I quickly had a nanny come in and take care of the kids. But so I was working from home. My kids were there. My nanny was there. I had flexibility. I could go on a field trip with the kids' school. You know, I had I had a lot. I wasn't, um, you know, up until two thousand and three, I was not working the forty hour week at all.
2: Gotcha so so by the way, uh, this is an interesting point for me. I know you personally and uh, but but I think that's gonna be interesting to everyone um richard, your husband he's a um he's a contractor right he's he's a licensed yeah. contractor. Why haven't you ever paired up that that's why I'm just curious why haven't you ever paired up and have him maybe lead or start the construction division of the company because there's a lot of maintenance, but there's also a lot of rehab and other opportunities right within your portfolio i bet well, why did that never come to be?
0: Well, two reasons. One, we did. I did use him, you know, early on to do different jobs, you know, particularly if it was something that had a higher skill level, you know, small bathroom remodel, whatnot. And I got such pushback from my clients that thought, "Oh, Richard was overcharging me," or just go have Richard do it for free. Basically, is what they wanted. And and you know, I mean, my you know Richard. You've seen some of the work he's done. He 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 is a perfectionist, and my clients were getting gold for a silver price, and were not happy, and it just didn't work. So so there was that whole thing where the where the clients really expected, you know, more from him, and then the other part was he hated it. He hated working in apartments. You know, I mean, this is a man who will go in and build you a beautiful kitchen, high end, working with one client that, that, you know, has a budget, but a reasonable budget. And, and, you know, working in apartment buildings, particularly in San Francisco, they're old, they're rent controlled. They've been jerry-rigged for decades. He just hated it. So early on, we decided our lives would be better to not work together. Um, but at the same point, he, there were plenty of times when he would give me advice on what needed to be done, or he could help me troubleshoot a situation and tell me which direction to go.
2: Gotcha. Very interesting. I yeah, I never knew that, but, uh, it does, it does sound like a potentially a perfect pairing, um, and complementary like business units you'll create, but, but, but I see, I see now why, you know, I, I know San Francisco, I, I grew up there, um, <laughs> And uh, yeah, I remember those uh, rent control units. And when you say jerry-rigged, I mean, literally, like that's like you walk in there and uh, walk into the apartment, somebody's paying, you know, $400 on a $2,000, you know, rental, and there's nothing done. I mean, like foil around the, um, I remember seeing for one person I went in, uh, they had foil all over the, um, the stove. Because it was the enamel was so rusted through that it didn't reflect the heat as at all, and they ended up using too much gas, so they foiled the whole thing up, including the countertops and the cabinets on top of it. <laughs> it's like, was, look, yeah. looked super uh, uh, iffy. Uh, anyway, so all right, 2003. What is when is, what was your next? So that acquisition really firmed up your decision to stick with the business. 2003 2004 2005 tell me um what was your next sort of a big uh change or 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 next step up for the company
0: well that was when i met you alex <laughs> and you started four and a half and um and I'll, I'll remember where where you know i mean i met you when i switched to Appfolio in 2010 and, and you helped me with a lot with that tr- transition and uh, we became friends, and I remember talking to you, it was at the CalNARPM conference in San Jose, and I can't remember what year it was, was it 2011? 11. I think about 2011, and it was all about technology, and it was all about using, you know, setting up a Facebook page, and having a Twitter account, and, and you know, Craigslist, those were, you know, kind of early days of Craigslist, where you could have these great postings for your vacancies with pictures you know, instead of a two-line ad in the newspaper for 50 bucks, which is, you know, how we used to do it. And I remember talking to you and I was like, gee, this sounds so exciting. I want to do this. How do I do this? Because I am not a techie person. Technology is just not my thing. And I've kind of fought it all my life. My first computer I bought and I turned it on and I got C colon backslash. I had to learn DOS in order to run my property management business. Um, because back then there was no software that worked on a Mac uh, it was all PC based. Um, but anyway, you and I started talking, you were considering a starting four and a half at that point in time. And so when you were ready to go, I was one of your first clients. And, um, uh, and at that point in time, I wanted a Facebook page. I really didn't care about marketing. I was growing. I was doing fine. I said, Alex, I don't really need to do any marketing. I get all of my business from referrals. And what you said to me changed my life. You said to me, No, Stephanie, you only get business from referrals. So at that point, I, I was all in with four and a half, and I kind of and, and you started me doing those blogs, doing video blogs, talking about. Property management in San Francisco. Talking about rent control. Remember how you hated Francisco. it? Yeah, I, I I didn't hate it. I was reluctant to do it because I didn't I didn't see the value in doing it. But I was actually pretty good behind the camera because I you just, did. You did well. I knew you did well. my stuff. Um, so you know, in that first year, so that was what 2012, right when you started four and a half. 2012.
2: Yep. So January first. 2012. 2012.
0: Yeah, so and meanwhile, those 130 units that I had bought, those big buildings in the Tenderloin that I had bought uh, in 2003, those just sold in 2010 and 2011. Those, Mm. so I was down at that point to 400 units that I was managing when I started with four and a half. And so that first year, when I'm doing these blogs and I've got a Facebook page and we're doing things, no, I saw an uptick in business, not a lot not a not a huge growth year two, yeah, people are finding me on the internet. It's growing year three, things took off. I mean, just the phone started ringing, and it hasn't stopped ringing so um I, I I would say to clients of yours, the people who are considering using four and a half you can't you can't judge it by a year. It takes a while for you to get to get up there but but so. You know, so I went from in 2012 400 units. We now have about 930 units that we're managing, something something around there. Um, and a lot of it has come from the single family market, which I really love in San Francisco. At least for now, the single family homes are exempt from rent control, so we don't have some of the same issues that we have with the deeply rent controlled tenants. We have landlords that want to maintain their property, and and they're a little more willing to to, to put money into them. And um, and we can raise the rent on them every year, um, so which
2: is uh, you know which you have to do in San Francisco because the rent's been going up quite significantly. I I, I do want I haven't asked you this question. I want to understand this, Stephanie. I have a lot a lot of friends, property managers, like literally friends that I meet at the conference every time, and there are intentional dinosaurs, meaning that they. Do not change. I mean, you know some of these people. It's it's different now, but even like when you take take a step back, 2011. Remember how difficult Appfolio transition was? I mean, this was very difficult on you, your business, your personal. I remember how devastated you were. Like the, all these transactions were a mess, and accounting became a mess. Why did you? Why in? Why did you innovate? Why did you push yourself? You said said yourself, you hate technology. Like I, I get that hundred percent. But a lot of people just kind of stayed in their old ways, you're making money, why did you change? Why did you think you need to change?
0: Well, I switched to Appfolio because the software that I had been using was becoming outdated. And once we got Appfolio up and running, I mean, the time savings in in making that switch was was huge the 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 way they can automate things and and, and do things so and it would be it's been something that I'd been considering for a while I you know I didn't act all of a sudden one day wake up and say I'm going to switch software um, and I will also say that I think my experience in the transition was a combination because this was 2010 Folia was a smaller company then we did it January one which is a bad time. I mean, it, it it's helpful because your clients will only get one statement, but but it, you know everybody goes away. Christmas, New Year's, Thanksgiving. I mean, the the and the person that was assigned to me got promoted, and then somebody else came in and was assigned to my account, and then that person was on vacation, and so when we went live January one. The things just didn't transition. You know, if we had one check that we wrote to a vendor with, say, four or five invoices on it, three of those invoices transferred over and not the entire check transferred over. And so the accounting, I mean, you know, it was a mess. It was literally a mess. Um, So, um, but I think Efolio has come a long way in its training Um, You know, and back then they didn't have all these videos and webinars and all that. Why are
2: you putting yourself through this, Stephanie? Why are you putting yourself through this uncomfortable, very painful transitions? Why are you putting yourself through filming those video blogs where you didn't really, truly, really know if it's going to work? Why? Like what's going through your mind? Why are you innovating when you are technology resistant yourself? Why are you doing this?
0: Because I did not want to be the little old lady. Sitting on my front porch, advertising my rentals in the newspaper. I, you know, I just, you know, you you innovate or die. You you in order to keep current. San Francisco is the tech center of the universe. You know, if I was a property manager and I didn't have software that allowed my tenants to pay rent online, first of all, it, it's so much easier for us. You know to let them pay rent online and that that's what they want. And that, that makes a difference. So I don't know. I just, and and part of it had to do with this CalNARPUM conference that I was just jazzed about all this new technology. And for the first time, I felt like I wanted to embrace it and I wanted to be on the front of it and the, the back end of it.
2: Hmm. Interesting. So that's, I, I think, I think I'm tracking with you 100%, but I, I like your comment about NARPUM. So those of you, uh, um, guys and gals that are listening who are not members of NARPM, don't go to your local chapter meeting. It is you literally costing your business opportunity by not exposing yourself to friendships, as well as all the education and the opportunities that these chapters provide. Um, I highly recommend NARPM, NARPM, go to NARPM.org, find your chapter, join, spend a few bucks to make millions. Be, be like Stephanie.
0: <laughs> yeah, no, it's it's really true. I have learned so much and it's not just from the classes that I take there. You learn stuff in the trade show because it's the vendors like you that are coming up with the new technologies for, for our industry. I mean, there's all these companies out there that just want to serve the property management industry and they're there to make our lives better and more efficient and, and give us uh the tools to to do our jobs better. So yeah, no, I I think I being a part of NARPA has been huge in my business development.
2: Gotcha. So let's uh, take a uh, let's let's take a stock at where we are. So we're in 2012. You started doing some uh, some video blogs, and by the way, um, whether you're use four and a half or not, if you look at mm, I, I've done some I've done I've done a lot of research, but part of it was I looked at all the successful property management companies out there. Um, and I know um, right, being in the industry for ten years and speaking to people and uh, seeing some of the people PLs at the um, at the uh, 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 like a mastermind events and such, um, I find that a lot of them are very, very educational content heavy. If you see, I'd say about ninety percent of all the winners, the top money makers, the top growing property management companies out there, are very focused on, Educational content. They either they do blogging. They either write or do videos. They do a lot of videos In fact, they do a lot of um, Some of them have podcasts longer form content. They create the books They have all kinds of educational assets that have been producing significant lead flow for them and um, That allows you to to pick like Andrew pick Andrew Dougill He is an immensely profitable company Uh, on the other side of the country from you. um, Stephanie, you know, Andrew, right? Yeah. Yeah. Is it's all about education. And what happens is when you have all that content, um, you know, Google pushes you up. You just like right now, Stephanie, I think you're one on two or San Francisco property management. You can't throw a stone in San Francisco. Um if you're looking for property management, not hit Stephanie's company somewhere. You know, people find it through searching subjects like, you know, uh is my rental uh under um, you know, uh rent control or or all kinds of these questions you wouldn't even think. All you have to do is really, um, um, really write down all the questions you get from your landlords locally, right? From your investors and answer them on video and write a copy, you know, write a little blog on it, put it on your website and let it do the, let it be your salesperson, let it be your marketing channel. That in itself, Stephanie said, you know, the first year you'll get some traction out of it. you probably get your money back on the expense of hiring the copywriter and actually doing it or hiring service like four and a half, second and third year. And after that, it's all yours. Like, it's just cash in the pocket.
0: It's it's crazy. Um, and, you know, I don't do pay-per-click or any of these other ad campaigns. It's just all organic people finding me. And the other thing I'll say about doing these video blogs is by the time they pick up the phone and call me, they want to hire me. They, they, they've seen me, they know me, they trust me. They've watched my blogs. Some of them watch lots of blogs before they pick them up. They know how I think they know what's important to me. They know how you know the advice that I'm giving them on how best to manage a property. And so when they call me, I'm not in competition with anybody else and I'm not trying to do a sales job. They want to hire me. I'm interviewing them to see if I want to hire if I want them as a client. Uh, and it's a it's it it's been you know i mean it, it there there's a huge value in
2: that significant competitive advantage and nobody does it in San francisco and even if they start doing it now there's plenty of business to be had uh but stephanie's content is four or five years old it's aged it's highly valued by google it's gonna be very difficult to displace her and her company right now you know um even even with big budget people that just it's just gonna be very difficult um and that's 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 what sort of really again uh, just encapsulates and solidifies your uh, SEO, your presence on the internet, and then lead flow. It's all about it's all about lead flow. You got to pick the best ones, um, best properties to manage for you, and to get that you have to have significant lead flow. So you can say no to a bunch of people before you say yes to the ones that fit um stephanie this has been an incredible so i want to say a couple things if you want to meet stephanie talk to her um she's got a lot more a lot more depth and knowledge besides just talking about blogs i think blogs are highly impactful um on her business and it's not on not, not a very typical way to build your company people invest all kinds of money in all kinds of stuff buying leads from uh, uh, all, all property management and doing Google AdWords and and by the way, Stephanie, I commend you for trying all those things. I think you've tried most of the things. You you're one of those people who would try, it, evaluate it, and then scale back if it doesn't. I've work.
0: never, I've never paid for leads. I've never paid for leads or the pay per click or the Google AdWords. Um, I've just done the old, you know, the um, content marketing, and I did, I do the reputation management. So. Um, and I think that's an important piece that gives us all kinds of quotes of people saying different things about us, and it also allows us to when we get a bad review from somebody why what happened how 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 can we fix it so that doesn't happen again either it's a, either it's a person who's you know no matter what you do you're not going to please them. But but sometimes something's fallen fallen down in our operations. And so that gives us a chance to look at it and what went wrong and how do we make it better?
2: This is a very good point. You see, I don't understand why people don't think paying $199 a month. And I'll use my example. There's other companies you can do this with. But we charge 199 bucks a month to survey all of your tenants and owners when something actually happens, when there's a client touch going on automatically and give you all the responses and then encourage them to publish Uh, uh, the good reviews on Google and whatnot. Uh, And so you can take care of and help and and turn around the bad ones. What I don't understand is um, for some reason, people don't value, this is my my, my misunderstanding on this, why people don't value knowing how how well your business is performing and actually keeping your finger on the pulse of your customer experience Um, and instead focusing on just positive reviews, which is the purpose of the service, I get it, but that aspect of actually monitoring your customer experience is invaluable and for that money it's ridiculously you know, it's ridiculously advantageous and inexpensive. This is why I never understood how people just don't don't really value that aspect of the service. Like they don't want to hear from their customers. I don't get it.
0: Well, I think landlords and property managers we have a love hate relationship with our customers okay you know the landlord has a property they want to maximize income minimize expenses tenants are renting the property they want services they want things fixed they want things taken care of and oftentimes those are at odds the tenants want high quality service the landlord wants to pay for low quality service um and and it doesn't work that way i uh, you know, and again, I learned the business by taking care of properties owned by my family, and they had a long-term view in valuing tenants, valuing up, upgrading their buildings, and taking care of them. And I kind of brought that into the services that I offered my clients. That I will treat your property like I would treat mine, and and at some point, and. This whole landlord tenant thing, particularly in San Francisco, because we have rent control. We have tenants that are paying a thousand dollars a month when the guy next door in the same apartment is paying five thousand a month. Um, and, and so that really creates an adversarial relationship to landlords and and tenants. And I have taken the position and I try to educate my clients that the tenants are our customers, whether they're paying a thousand a month or five thousand a month. You don't have any income. If they're not paying rent and and you know housing as housing providers we're not selling shoes we're not selling something like that we're selling something that that is people's home and it's the landlord's property but it's also the tenants property because it's their home and they live there and I and not you know there's a million laws particularly in California and San Francisco that regulate that relationship but I think we have to acknowledge that I believe that if you treat your tenants right and, and and value them as a customer, in the long run, it's beneficial to you as the landlord. Um, you know, there there is nothing to be gained by taking two weeks to fix something that can be fixed in two days. I mean, it doesn't cost any more; it doesn't cost any less. But if you fix it in two days, you have a happy tenant, and maybe at some point something's going to go wrong, and you're going to need that tenant to be on your side. You're going to need that tenant to say, yeah, okay, Gordon Property Management, we trust them. They take care of us, and and this difficult time, I don't know, a roof leak, a water leak, a pipe burst, the water heater goes out, something goes wrong, seriously wrong, and they could be the tenant from hell, or they can work with you in a cooperative way. And if you've treated them right all along, you're much better. You're much more likely to, when you need that tenant to be on your side, to have them on your side. Um,
2: that, that's amazing outlook and a great, great mindset, Stephanie. I appreciate that. Um, by the way, those of you who are listening, um, the Stephanie you can meet people, Stephanie and people like Stephanie, at the PM Growth Summit. We finally picked the location, Stephanie. You don't know yet, but I'll tell you now. It's at 18 okay. Executive Education Center in Austin, Texas. It's going to happen. Oh,
0: awesome. I'm going to go to Austin. I've never been. Heck yeah. yeah. Okay, but, and when
2: is it? Uh, we're So, we're speaking to Stephanie about uh, uh, a speaking opportunity as well. And you guys, I'm asking on these shows to give me feedback if you want to hear a person that I am interviewing speak on, at the summit on the stage about a specific subject. Send me the feedback at alex at com. I've already been. Getting a lot of uh, uh, notes from people. I appreciate that. Keep them coming. Uh, Stephanie, it is on April 17th through 19th. Um, and we already have, uh, so folks who are listening, you can go to com, and we just sort of quietly open ticket presale. Uh, we're going live, truly live next week, but um, the tickets are available. And right now it'll be the lowest price. Now four and a half customers will get a very special price. So if you're four and a half customer, wait for your email uh, with your specific discount code. It will be the lowest possible ticket price for the PM Growth Summit. Uh, That's how we say thank you to our people who's been uh, our clients and and we appreciate their business. Um, I wanted to say, Stephanie, I've enjoyed this interview. I will see you tomorrow um, for... My listeners, I hope to see you at the PM Growth Summit or next NARPUM conference. We're going to Florida pretty soon, Florida, NARPUM. Next will be National San Diego. By the way, 4 and a half. ooh, Stephanie, you're going to love this, 4 and a half is doing a party at Pushkin Russian Restaurant, VIP party, invite only. Remember we talked about that? I think, was that Kellogg? Cal- yeah,
0: Mar- I remember. Yeah, you wanted to drive from Palm Springs to San Diego to have dinner there. Yeah. When, when we were at the in Palm Springs. Yeah. Okay. I was excited. Yeah, I'll go I'll go in San Diego.
2: <laughs> there's not that many Russian restaurants, and this one is actually very good. And we got we got ourselves we reserved the whole floor. Uh it's a limited capacity, of course. We can only fit like fifty or sixty people, but um uh it should be an amazing. It should be a great party. And uh, I think it's on Thursday for a conference week. Anyway, uh invite only. Um uh so those of you listening, thank you very much. Uh, Stephanie, see you tomorrow. Um, Again, I really appreciate your attention and your desire to improve and change your businesses. Um, Stephanie, thank you for your time as well.
0: Thanks, Alex.